Welcome to River City Church Podcast. We're glad you're listening. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co. We're going to be continuing. We're in part two of our series, Comfort and Joy. Comfort and Joy. Uh, We open this series uh, reading from Luke 2, which was the declaration that uh, Pastor Leslie mentioned a moment ago about the angels declaring to the shepherds in the field uh, who were taking care of their flocks by night. And the angels come, and this is what they declare, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And they pointed them to a manger. They pointed them to the Savior who was born that day in the town of Bethlehem, and uh, and they pointed, and here's what they said, we bring you good tidings of great joy, good news of great joy, which will be to all people. So as we're looking at this series, that Jesus came, he came to save, he came to restore what was lost, he came to find what, uh, what sin had separated from God, uh, which was us. We had been lost, and Jesus came to find us, he came to rescue us. Jesus is heaven's Christmas gift to us, to this uh, season we celebrate, uh, of course, that gift as we uh, give gifts to one another, to our loved ones, to our friends and family. But I can tell you the most important gift you'll ever receive is Jesus. The most important gift you can ever accept and be given is the gift of heaven, which is Jesus Christ himself. And that gift brings not only salvation and forgiveness, redemption, but he brings peace. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And peace, is, as we saw last week, is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of a person. It's the presence of Jesus in our lives to bring comfort and joy. Uh, last, week, last week we looked at uh, several things that affect our joy, steal our joy, or that we can surrender our joy to. Things like offense, things like uh, sin and fear that cause us to lose our joy that God has provided for us in Jesus. Today I want to point you to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, which is probably one of my favorite joy passages in the Bible. It's written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he writes this in a moment that for many people, uh, they would have easily not only have had a hard time having joy, but they would have easily surrendered their joy long before they wrote this. Uh, Paul, however, is somebody who is an overcomer. He was an overcomer because of who he knew his God is. Uh, he's an overcomer because he had experienced God's redeeming forgiveness, his redemption. And because of what God did in Paul's life in forgiving him, who was once somebody who tried to destroy the church, Jesus used him to build the church like nobody else. And Paul, at this point, as he's writing this, is now in prison for preaching the gospel. So he's not just having a bad day. He's not just stuck in traffic. He's literally in prison for doing the thing that he's called to do. And while a lot of us experience hardship and difficulty and even setbacks, the promise is that we can have joy. In fact, we don't not only have joy available, we need joy to get through whatever that hardship is. And Paul points to this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I think it's important to know that when Paul said this, he wasn't having a good day. He wasn't having an easy day, but he knew who his God was, and so he had joy. And we can have joy in every season. 
We can have joy and we can have comfort. Comfort is the healing side of what God does. It's as he heals our heart, as he restores, as he takes away the grief and the sorrow and the pain and the heartache and the brokenness that's resulted from sin, not only our own but that of other people, the loss of people who've left, the loss of people who've hurt us, all of those things that come together. He is our comfort in the middle of that. But the good thing about Jesus is he not only brings us comfort and takes away what's destroying or hurting us, but he gives us something in return. He makes a deposit in our lives, and that's a deep and abiding joy. It's something more than just a momentary fleeting sense of happiness, but it's a joy that is actually something that sustains you. And he says here, rejoice in the Lord always. That means in every circumstance, in every situation, that means when things are easy, it means when things are difficult. Hello, church. It means, <laughs> it means when things are easy, it means when things are going our way, and it means when things are not going our way. Rejoice in the Lord always. You know, this, this is not just an encouragement. It's actually an instruction. He says rejoice. He commands it. Rejoice in the Lord. And he repeats it again because he knows that it would land like it does for some of us. I don't want to rejoice when I'm going through a difficult time. The last thing I want to do is rejoice. I want to complain. Anybody else? Okay. Just me? You're all more spiritual than me. Okay. One person's honest. The rest of you are not. Okay. Here's what he says, let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, we touched on this when I talked about prayer a couple weeks ago, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication or petition, and and, and that's a a word that means to request from God, so go to God with your needs, and with thanksgiving, that's a grateful heart, a heart of gratitude, it's a lot easier to complain when you've forgotten how much you've been given in Jesus. It's a lot easier to complain when you live within a, maybe a sense of entitlement or frustration over what hasn't happened, but when you're grateful, you get happy. I tell you what, the most happy people, the most joy-filled people are people that are grateful, grateful to God for what he's done, not focused only on what hasn't happened, but celebrating what God has done in our lives. And so here's what he says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The result of that prayer is the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And finally, my brethren, verse 8, he says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you learned, talking to the church of Philippi, those things which you learned, received, and heard, and even saw in me. So Paul's not just telling them to do this. He's saying, I model this for you. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. Do you know the the church of Philippi uh, was a generous church? It was a a church that Paul wrote to about their generosity later on in this chapter. But he, he, it actually started... When Paul was another time in prison, he had been beaten for preaching the gospel and, and, uh, and disrupting uh, the work of the enemy in that city. They put him and his, his missionary traveling companion Silas in prison. And while they're there at midnight, after having been beaten, after having been chained and locked up in the deepest, darkest prison that Philippi had to offer, their response wasn't to complain. It wasn't to gripe. It wasn't to say, God, why? Why did this happen? Why did this not work out? No, they praised and they worshiped while they were going through it. 
And it says that heaven responded. See, I, I, I think your praise moves heaven. I think your praise disarms hell. I think your praise actually has an effect, even especially and even when you're going through a difficult season. Don't, don't let the enemy, don't let life steal your worship. Don't let it steal your praise. Don't let others, don't let people, don't let any devil in hell keep you from worshiping the king. And as Paul and Silas are worshiping, it says that the gates of the prison were shaken and every door was open and every chain was loosed. Their praise not only set them free, their praise and worship invited the presence of God and set every other prisoner free. That's how the church of Philippi started. The guy who was in charge of the prison thought, oh no, everybody's going to escape. My job's over. I'm gonna... He actually literally is about to kill himself, take his own life. And here's what Paul says, don't do it. We're all still here. And so that man becomes the starting point of the church. He says, what must I do to be saved? They take this man and they lead him and his entire family to Jesus. And Paul reminding them of his lifestyle that began that moment before the Philippians, I'm a worshiper and I'm a praiser and I'm gonna rejoice always. He says, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will guard your heart. The God of peace will secure and cover your mind. I think in times like we're in even now, as a culture, as a society, as a people, even as the church, we need to have the peace of God guard our hearts and minds. And can I tell you, it does. It does as we do the things the Bible's told us to do. It says, don't be anxious about anything. That includes the price of gasoline. Are, are you with me? That, that includes, you know, Delta, Omicron, Epsilon, every other Greek alphabet letter. That, that includes the difficult family member you're having a hard time with. That includes the, the situation on your job. That includes every situation. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by, here's what we do, we are to do. He says, by prayer and petition. In other words, it's not enough to just not worry, but we're to pray. We're to actually do something with our concerns, our worries, our cares. We're not pretending like there's not a problem. We're not ignoring what's going on around us. That's not faith. We're to believe God. We're to take our problems before the throne of God. And the promise of God is that he hears prayer. And then he tells us to take our focus off of a lot of stuff that our focus has been on. He says, hey, whatever things are pure, lovely, noble, good report, virtuous. He says, take your eyes off of the other junk and set them on what is worthy of your attention. I think, church, sometimes the reason we live in fear and worry, the reason we are not walking in the peace of God and that guarding our heart and mind is because our attention is, a lot, is on a lot of things that aren't worthy of it. I can rejoice always. I don't have to be anxious for anything. I can pray about everything, and I can focus on what gives life instead of what doesn't. Nehemiah 8, uh, Nehemiah 8, it's great. I love the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's name means Yahweh is comfort. Great picture of the work and activity of the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah's calling is to see what has been broken down, neglected, and destroyed, rebuilt. And Israel's walls have, uh, in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem's walls have been neglected for decades. And they've, they've fallen down in disrepair. They've been destroyed. They've been made to be rubble. And, and so Nehemiah comes to rebuild what's been lost. And so he does. He, he mobilizes the people. They rebuild the walls. And, and they begin to, after the walls have been rebuilt and they're no longer under constant threat of danger, they begin to set back in order the things that matter in their life, the things that are important in their life. 
And so they begin to worship. They begin to go back to the Bible, to the Word of God. And, and it says here in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, that they read distinctly from the book, the, the law of God. They had the Old Testament and the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And, and they're reading the Bible, and the leaders are giving them the sense and helping them to understand what they're reading. And as they're listening to this, all of the Israelites have gathered. Nehemiah was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites. They taught the people, and they, they, who taught the people said to all the people, this day, as you're hearing the word, is holy to the Lord. So they say, don't mourn or weep, for all the people wept. Why? They heard the words of the law. Now Israel has heard what God's instructions were, and they're weeping because they realize they've fallen so short from generation to generation of all that God intended to do. Their forefathers had turned to idols instead of worshiping and staying faithful to God, and, and they had reaped the results of that. But now as God's beginning to gather them and restore them, the, Nehemiah says, listen, it's time to have comfort. It's time to have peace. It's time to realize today is holy to God. He's calling you back to himself. And here's what they say. He says, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions of those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to the Lord. They're having a feast. And here's what he says, do not sorrow. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't stay. There's, there's a season for grieving. There's a season for weeping. But he says this moment, he says, I don't want you to miss your joy because your joy is your strength. I think the reason why there's an assault on your joy is because the enemy is trying to steal your strength. He knows that if he can get you to surrender your joy, you'll lose your peace. You'll lose your sleep at night. You'll, you'll, you'll begin to see your relationships undermined. You'll worry about things you were never called to worry about, and you'll lose the strength that God intends to give you. But when you get your joy back, you get your strength back. When you get your joy back, church, you get your strength. I think the joy-filled church is the greatest witness to the world that's broken. The, a joy-filled church is the greatest witness to a world that's hurting, that needs hope. And the hope you and I have is a hope that doesn't come from circumstance. It comes from Jesus. And if it's not based on your circumstance, then it, if, if the circumstance can't create it, see, I have to have things generally going well for me to feel happy. But when I'm with Jesus, I have a joy that has very little to do with everything going well. It has everything to do with who's with me. There's a great story in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, and it's a story of the disciples in Mark chapter 4, it's later in the notes, uh, Jessica, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, On the same day when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. And when they left the multitude, the crowd that they were teaching, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boy, boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat on the boat until it was already filling. Well, I... I've spent enough time on boats to know that water in the boat is not good. <laughs> Too much water means the boat sinks. The disciples are experienced fishermen, many of them. And they're in this boat, they're familiar with the waters, so they're not unaccustomed, they're not easily moved by adverse conditions. But this is a real storm with a real danger. And they're aware of it. And the waves beat into the boat as it was, and it was already filling. And Jesus was asleep. He was in the stern asleep on a pillow. I, I, I don't know. I've been through choppy waters before on a ship, and uh, it, it was, the one thing I wasn't doing was sleeping very good. <laughs> 
And, and Jesus has so much peace that he can be asleep in the storm. That's what peace looks like. Peace doesn't look like there not being a storm. Peace looks like in the middle of a storm, you can still have rest. You can still have joy. You can still have confidence. Jesus is asleep on the pillow, and the disciples misinterpreting what Jesus is doing as we are predisposed to do. They develop a theology about whether or not God cares based on the conditions around them. We'll just look at it. Teacher, verse 38, don't you care that we're perishing? Wow. What is it about a storm that makes you wonder if God really is who he says he is and he really is good? Well, I think it's because we sometimes have more faith in the storm than we have in the Jesus who's in the boat with us. If I know who he is and I know what he said, see, I, I have a lot more peace in storms today than I used to. Not because it's easier to walk through a storm, but because I know who's with me. Because I've, I've gotten to see him be faithful. I've gotten to see that, that he's always, that if he's in the boat with me, that's all I need. That if he's there as he promised, and what did he start with? He actually told them, we're crossing over to the other side. His word was enough. His word we're crossing over is enough to say we're going to get there. They question, they say, Jesus, don't you even care? Don't you care that we're going through it? Don't you care that this is bad and that's bad? The wind, the waves, don't you see it, Jesus? And let's be honest, sometimes we pray those kind of prayers. Jesus gets up. I think he stretches a little bit, yawns a little bit. Jesus, can you get on with it? <laughs> he arose, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, boys, it's good you woke me up when you did. Oh, good, you're paying attention. He says, why are you afraid? He, he, he corrects them, but the only reason for him correcting them is their, their posture of their heart wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And so he says, why are you afraid how come you had such little faith? How come you have no faith? In other words, what's faith? It's confidence. It's confidence in Jesus. It's confidence in his word. How come you had so little faith? How come you had no faith? Well, I think it's because where they were placing their focus and their attention and their trust. You have two points for you today. Number one is this. God's comfort and joy are available in every circumstance. In every circumstance. And that's important to recognize because maybe you've got some stuff that's a lot more challenging than some other people in the room, or they have things that are more challenging. It does, we, listen, we can compare storms all day. The question is, is Jesus in the boat? Because he's the same, and he's still faithful, and he's still able, and he can still overcome. He rebukes the wind, and he rebukes the waves. And our faith is not in the ability or, or the strength of the storm. It's in the presence of Jesus. Joy comes, comfort comes as we rejoice, as we find strength in him, as we set our hope in Jesus. James chapter 1, uh, verse 2. I think this is, in 17 years of ministry, this is one of most people who go to church, this is one of their least favorite verses. <laughs> I 
Oh, you're seeing it behind me. Okay. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He says, count it joy when you're in a storm. Count it joy not because of the storm, but because of what you're, what's going to happen to your faith. Watch what it says. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Jesus said, we're crossing over. What was the storm? You ever notice how, just read the Gospels, and there's two times that a significant storm arises on the water as Jesus instructs them to cross over. And what's always funny to me is how there was no sight of the storm before they got on the water. It was unexpected. So, so years ago, I was um, doing one of my favorite things in life is to go camping, and I took a youth group up to a... It's it's a super high elevation in East Arizona uh, called the Mogollon Rim, and you're very high up. It's beautiful pine trees. It's where there's elk. It's just, it's an incredible area. But I took him to a place I'd never been before, and uh, we went to this place, to this this lake, and we camped near this hill. And when we headed up, the weather conditions looked great. I had checked the weather reports. They looked great. The problem was we were going in the middle of nowhere. There's nowhere on a weather report that says middle of nowhere. And I had ordered, right before the trip, I had ordered a uh, NOAA radio. Some of you all know what it is. An emergency weather radio. The problem was Amazon delivered it while I was on the mountain. So it didn't arrive in time. So it, that didn't help me. And we get there, and they, if I remember right, they said in that general area there was something like a 20% chance of rain. Well, that 20% chance turned into one of the worst storms I've ever camped in in my life. Trees were coming down. It was crazy. Lightning's cracking off all around us. And, and thankfully, we did make it. I didn't lose any of the teenagers. Thank you, Jesus. That's always what you're praying when you bring a youth group up camping. I don't know that they'll ever camp again. It destroyed, I think, one or two of the tents were destroyed by the weather conditions, and so everybody had to huddle. We had two tents left, boys and girls, and cram them all into these little tents just to make it through the night. But, but here, here's, here's the thing. Some storms aren't expected. Here's what he says. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, that storm wasn't expected, but it grew their faith. It grew their faith in the person of Jesus in the authority of his word, because they saw Jesus go to work, deliver them from the storm. I never want to evaluate the goodness of God or the promise of God while I'm in the middle of the storm. That's why as a pastor, I don't preach what I go through. I preach what I've already been delivered out of. Are, are you with me? I, I, I can tell you a whole lot of storms that I didn't think I was going to make it through that Jesus brought me out of. Because when you're in a storm, you just you, you begin to misinterpret why Jesus is sleeping in the boat. God, you don't care. Oh, God, you're not going to come through this time. None of you ever pray like that. Okay, good. (laughs) But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, or mature and complete, lacking nothing. I like to say it this way. I I was going to write this down as a point, but just in case I offend anybody, you can be happy when life is crappy. Okay. Thank you, three of you. Okay. 2 Corinthians 4.16, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed every day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. This is key. Storms are not permanent. The presence of Jesus is. I I wish I had known that. 
in some of the storms that I thought I wasn't going to make it out of. I, I thought some of those were going to last forever. I thought some of the storms in relationships and with people and, and in different environments and jobs, and, and I, I thought those storms would last forever. But it's interesting how, how sometimes in the middle of the storm, you can't see outside of the storm. It's, it's hard to get that perspective. My, when we first moved to Florida, uh, we moved there in 2017. I, don't know, I think it was 2017 that fall we had Hurricane Irma, one of the largest hurricanes to ever come that way. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I always, like, I always like seeing those NASA space station photographs of these storms. You'll see these big, massive hurricanes and from space, it almost looks peaceful. But when you're in it, it ain't peaceful. I actually, I, I, I drove with my family. Uh, well, they came up to Alabama first to get out, avoid the storm. Problem was, everywhere we drove, the storm went. And so after all of Florida evacuated, I thought, well, which, am I, which is better to, to deal with, the hurricane or traffic going back into Florida? So I decided to take my chances with the hurricane and drove back through the hurricane. But while I'm driving, it was interesting. I saw everything short of cows flying in front of me. By then, it had weakened significantly. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done that. But, but here's, here's, here's what's interesting. When you're in the storm, it looks like it'll never end. When you're outside of the storm, you have perspective. But here's what he says. He says, we have a light or momentary affliction, not because it's easy or not because it isn't painful or difficult, but he says that actually is working for us. Verse 17, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Faith isn't about pretending like the problem's not there or the storm doesn't exist. No, it's about where you're putting your attention, where I'm putting my attention. If my focus is on the storm, I'll always have more confidence in the storm to take me out than the God who's in the boat to deliver me. But when my attention is on what's eternal and my attention's on what matters, the result is God begins to fill my life with peace right in the middle of that storm. Begins to fill me with joy right in the middle of that storm. Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That's why, church, there is a war for your attention. The battle isn't just for the outcome and for the conditions and the storm. It's about your attention. Because if he can take your attention, if the storm can take your attention, if the devil can take your attention... He can rob you of your peace and joy and your strength. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Our focus, when it's on Jesus, the result will be peace, confidence, joy. My pastor years ago said this, and I thought it was so good, it stuck with me all these years. Something, a, a circumstance, a problem, a situation, a conflict can come to my life, but I can make a decision. Am I going to let that storm infect my life or affect my life, or am I going to have confidence in Jesus? See, something can come to me, but it doesn't have to stay in me. It doesn't have to work through me. And that's so important. We get this. We can't decide what comes to us, 
But we can decide what we allow to affect our heart and mind. I can't control the way people behave. I can't control the way people, what they say. I can't control the circumstance and the situation. There's some things that are beyond my ability to change it, but what I can change is how I respond to it. I can change where my attention is. I can change what I allow to affect my heart and my mind. Jesus said in John 14, 30, I will no longer talk with much with you, talking to his disciples before the cross, He says, for the ruler of this world is coming. He's talking about the enemy, the devil. He says, he's coming, but here's the thing. He has nothing in me. He's got nothing in me. He has nothing that he can grab as a foothold. He has nothing that he can gain advantage over me with. And I think that's the key to living in peace and joy on a consistent basis is give no room for the storm to have any place in my life. to allow the lie or the enemy to have any place in me. Because if I have a place in my life or my heart or mind where I'm going to allow fear to rule, it's going to happen. If I allow it access to my heart and life, if I allow shame or, or regret or whatever, if I, if, if I allow those storms to affect and to remain, I'm giving it access to a place that's meant to be given to Jesus. Number two, second and final point is this. Abide in God's comfort and joy through walking with Jesus every day. See, Jesus said in John 15, 11, that joy was different than just momentary happiness. Momentary happiness is about everything going well or going in under the right conditions. Joy is something that comes from him. And he says, he says these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. So where does the joy come from? It comes from Jesus. And he says that your joy may be full. He says, I want you to be filled with joy, and I want that joy to remain. See, I'm not interested in something momentary and fleeting. I'm interested in a joy that stays with me even in the storm. A joy that is with me in good seasons and tough seasons. That's the joy that God makes available for us. And the way we access that is through first believing in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, when we put our faith in him, it creates an opportunity for him to fill my life. He steps in, and I'm adopted into the family of God. I'm forgiven of my sins. I'm given a future and a hope. I'm inviting Jesus into the boat of my life. When I put my trust in Jesus, I'm creating that access point. I'm receiving the gift of a Savior. That's why Paul in Romans 14, or Romans 15 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. If I'm not believing, there won't be peace and joy. But as I believe in him, I'm literally inviting him into my boat. No matter what storms life brings, can I tell you, there's going to be storms for every one of us. But the promise is we got Jesus in the boat. He's the one that rebukes the wind and rebukes the waves. He's the one that gets us safely to the other side. And he's the one, listen, there's some storms I made it through, but I didn't enjoy the process. I would have had a lot more peace if I knew that, if I I understood that he was with me in the boat and that his joy was available to be my strength. He fills us with all joy and peace in believing. 
and we spend time every day in the presence of God. Leslie mentioned this during worship, Psalm 1611. It's one of my favorite verses. It says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. John Wesley in his journals wrote, I, I couldn't find the quote. I've got, his journals are like 10 years of stuff, so it's hard to find where, where he wrote this. But I remember coming across this years ago where John Wesley's talking about how there was a season where he felt this almost discontent and emptiness and frustration. And he, as he began to evaluate the absence of joy in his life, he realized, oh, I haven't been praying like I used to. I haven't been spending time every day in the presence of God through prayer. And he says something to the effect of the reason for my wanting or lacking of joy is for my lack of prayer, my lack of spending time in his presence, because in his presence there is what? Fullness of joy. I won't turn there for time, but Isaiah 12 says that when we receive Jesus, we receive a a well. And with joy, we will draw from the wells of salvation. In Hebrew, that word salvation there literally is Yeshua. But I want you to catch this because when we have Jesus, we have a well of joy, but we still have to draw from it. See, some of us had joy the day we accepted Jesus, the day we realized our sins were forgiven. We had a future and we had a hope and we had a home in heaven, and and that's good to have joy there. But we all leak joy. And we've got to be filled every day as we come before that well and draw from it. Just like I can't go along without having access to water to satisfy thirst, I need joy to satisfy the thirst of my soul, and I can only get it from Jesus. When I'm going to the wrong well, it's empty. But when I go to the well that never runs dry, I go to Jesus. And he fills my life, and he promises to fill your life too. We believe this message will be encouraging and timely. To connect with us, find us on social or at rivercitychurch.co.